amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Alice Crimmins was tried and convicted for the murders of her children. She proclaimed her innocence throughout the trials that focused mostly on her sex life. Did she kill little Eddie and Missy or were their deaths caused by someone else and pinned on Alice because she lived a life that wasn't seen as appropriate for a woman in the 60s? Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, welcome back to Killer Queens. So before we get to today's case, and you've already heard a little snippet about it, we do just want to remind you that if you want ad-free episodes, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month and you get every single episode ad-free. This one, no ads waiting for you there. Um, And you also get like early access to two-parters and get tons of bonus episodes depending on the level you sign up on. So there are some good things going on over there. Oh, yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. So if you want ad-free and extra content, check out the Patreon. Yeah, and definitely make sure that you join our Facebook discussion group. It's called Killer Queens Podcast Discussion Group, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's free to join. And every week we go live to talk about the case that we did. So we've got a bunch of extra goodies about this case that we're going to talk about on the live um, later on this week. So definitely join that. And, you know, we'll see you there. We'll hang with you. It's going to be sweet hangs. (laughs) Totally sweet hangs. (laughs) All right. Do you feel like that's enough of the business? I think so. I think we're ready to just get into it. Okay, let's do it. We do have a couple trigger warnings, child murder, brief mentions of suicide, and there may be some feminism slash man hate going on in this episode. (laughs) I'll try to tame it. Well, what does anybody expect when we're talking about a woman's rights in the 60s? You know what I mean? Jeez, yeah. Exactly. So if you don't want to hear any of those things, we get it and you can just skip on over it. Yeah, no big deal. Yep. And this is a one part. So next week, it'll be a different case. Totally. Yep. So around midnight on the night of July 13th, 1965, five-year-old Eddie Crimmins Jr. and his four-year-old sister, Alice Marie Crimmins, known as Missy, were asleep in their room when their mother, Alice, checked on them for the last time. When Alice Crimmins opened the bedroom door the next morning, the children were no longer in their beds. Panicked, Alice called her estranged husband, Eddie, and accused him of kidnapping them from her apartment. Eddie told her that he hadn't taken the kids. 
Alice remembered closing their window the night before she, when she was putting the kids to bed and it was open now. She remembered because there had been a hole in the screen and she was going to replace their torn screen with the screen from her bedroom window. However, the screen didn't fit and instead of completely bolting the torn screen back in place, she just placed it in the window to deal with the next day. That screen was now leaning against the wall beneath the window. Eddie rushed to the Queen's apartment and called the police when he arrived. Police were at the apartment within minutes and by 11 a.m., the search for the children was in full swing. Within an hour, a young boy found Missy's body in a vacant lot on 162nd Street. It was eight blocks from her bedroom. The search for Eddie ramped up. If Missy was already dead, things did not look good for her brother. Then on July 19th, a man and his son were walking when they came across the body of Eddie covered in a blanket on an embankment off of the Van Wyck Expressway. He was one mile from his home. After the children's bodies were found and the funerals were over, the police leaned hard on Alice Crimmins. They would monitor, follow, and harass her for two years before finally arresting her on September 11th, 1967. Mm. Wild times. I know. Two years. Two years, yeah. So not much is known of Alice Burke. Um, That was her maiden name as a child. She was born in 1936 and grew up in the Bronx with her parents in their middle-class Irish Catholic life. She attended Catholic school and was thought of as a, quote, good Catholic girl. And as a good Catholic girl in the 50s, 19-year-old Alice was living in her parents' house and maintaining her purity by waiting until marriage to have sex. So... As was the custom, the only way out of her parents' house without looking like a, quote, tramp was to get married and move in with her husband. And the word tramp was literally in an article. One article at the time said only tramps got their own apartments. Oh, my God. Tori, you're a tramp. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You have your own place. I know. Wow. Sue me. I'll pray for you. Exactly. But I mean, it's like, I've seen a few of those little articles going around. Like some people will post them on social media, but it's like how to date. And it's like a 1950s mm-hmm. quote or how to take care of your husband or whatever. And it's an article from the 50s. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have never been more grateful to have been born when I was, you know? like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually saw an article or something on, maybe it was on Instagram or something, but it was this article from a like interior design magazine or something. And it was this interior designer came into a single woman's apartment and changed it around to make it more welcoming for men mm. to want to date her. And it said to like, it showed the before and after. And like the before was like too many books visible. So basically don't show that you read a lot, <laughs> like mm-hmm. hide some of your books. <laughs> and then it was like, maybe talking about her music or some of the the book titles. These are too sad. These are too like whatever. So you want to replace those with like happier things. And I don't know, just all this stuff. And I was like, and this was like fairly recent. I was like, mm-hmm. are we like people commented and they were like, so basically hide who you really are so that you can get a husband. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I don't know. It was like- crazy. So Eddie Crimmins was Alice's boyfriend, and at the time, he was six feet tall with sandy brown hair and was described as ruggedly handsome. In 1959, they got married, and within three years, they had two kids. So first came Edmund, who went by Eddie Crimmins Jr., and Eddie Crimmins Sr. was also Edmund, but he went by Eddie. And a year later, they had a daughter, Alice Marie, or Missy, and she was actually Alice Jr., so they had 
Eddie Jr. and Alice Jr. That happens a lot. I mean, that did. I guess if I'm applying like now, you know, mm-hmm. norms or whatever, I'm like, is that a little narcissistic to just name your kids? Like, it's just like, oh, little Eddie, little Alice. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I guess you're right. At that time, that did happen a lot. It was more common. Yeah. Especially for, because you hear it way more for boys with mm-hmm. their dads. But yeah. For girls even too. Because yeah, I heard about, I think it was in a movie or something, but it was like the mom's name was Margaret and then the daughter's name was Margie. Mm. It's gotta be confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that's probably why they called her Missy too. Yeah. The kids were well-behaved and cheery, according to neighbors and family and friends. Everyone said that the two had no sibling rivalry and that Eddie was very protective of what he called my Missy. They said that Missy was a girly girl. Once while she was playing with her dolls, another kid pulled the hair out of the doll's head and Eddie charged at the little boy who, you know, in essence had hurt Missy and he saw this and he yelled at the little boy saying, don't you ever touch my Missy. Like he was so protective of her, so sweet. After the birth of Missy, Alice decided she was done having children despite their Catholic upbringings, which said no birth control at all. And Eddie was pretty pissed when he found birth control devices in Alice's purse at the time. So apparently this was not something that they talked about and agreed on with each other. And he was not happy that she was using things that went against their beliefs. They moved from the Bronx to Queens. And that was kind of like the neighborhood that they lived. What was it called? Kew Gardens. Mm-hmm. It was a really nice area. Like they said, it was a very, um, it would have been a pretty big step up from where they lived in the Bronx. Like it was kind of like. Yeah, it seemed pretty affluent. Yeah. Safe. Yes. And uh, the people in that area were not really huge fans of Alice's. Their ground level apartment was in an area that was full of Irish, Italian, and Jewish families who felt like Alice was, and these are their words, a quote, snotty bitch, a drunk, and a nymphomaniac. So these are all the the words they use to describe their neighbor, Alice. Whoa. Yeah, they gossiped about her nonstop, but she seemed unfazed. She just went on about, like it definitely didn't make her change whatever it was that she was doing. She just like lived her life. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Alice and Eddie had been madly in love at the beginning of their relationship, but as time went on, their marriage started to deteriorate. So Eddie worked long hours in his job as an airplane mechanic on the late shift, and he'd started drinking more and more, and he would start like going to the bar like with the boys after work, and he'd stay there for a long time. So Alice was feeling very alone. She was left at home with the two kids all the time. And she resented that her husband was not only drinking all the time, he's not home ever, she felt like, and he's also putting on a lot of weight. Mm. So she didn't get any attention from her husband and she decided she was going to find it elsewhere. Growing up, Alice had struggled with severe acne and now had significant scarring on her face. And because of that, she only felt truly comfortable when she was fully made up. Her blue eyes lined heavily with black eyeliner and her red hair teased for Jesus, which is like (laughs) such a 60s thing, but she did it to the hilt. (laughs) But also that comes into play later, the whole her wearing makeup every day. So just know that I think it's important to add context around that, that that comes from a place of insecurity, Mm -hmm. you know, and how that can be taken a different way later on. Yeah. Alice dressed in revealing clothes and high heels and made herself available to the men of New York. Their contentious marriage finally hit the full skids in 1965 when they separated and a child custody battle began on June 22nd, 1965, when Eddie filed for full custody. He alleged that immediately after they separated, Alice, quote, began to indulge herself openly and brazenly in sex as she had done furtively before the separation. And that she, quote, entertains one at a time a stream of men sharing herself in her bedroom until she and her paramour of the evening are completely spent. The following morning, the children awake to see a strange man in the house, end quote. Wow. I can understand if you're going through a divorce You don't want just random people coming and staying in your home with your kids there, you know? Because, like, you don't know these people. You don't know if they're dangerous. Like, Yeah, of course. However, I'm going to just go ahead and say this. I know it wasn't for the times, but Eddie, they're his goddamn kids, too. Yeah. And maybe he could have taken them, like, maybe on the weekends or whatever, you know? Like, I don't know, but it seems like Alice had them full time forever and ever and ever. Yeah, and I don't know if that was in her like, of choosing, her, yeah, or... of her doing, or because he did end up filing for full custody. So it seems like he does, in some way, want to have the children with him. But yeah, maybe during the separation, they weren't doing like a joint custody thing or anything. And he lived very close by. He got mm-hmm. he rented a room like what right around the corner from them. Yeah, which he did on purpose to keep tabs on her. Yes, to keep tabs on her. There is just a lot of very toxic stuff going on in this relationship. Like, Mm -hmm. it's very bad. Alice's mom, though, even wrote up an affidavit in Eddie's defense, calling her own daughter mentally ill and calling Eddie a good man who would take good care of the children. 
She called the children, quote, innocent victims of a sick mind, and that's referring to Alice. But while Alice's mom was singing Eddie's praises, she was unaware of his one-man stakeout surveillance missions on Alice. So since the separation, Eddie had spent hours listening to Alice's phone calls and the events that took place in her bedroom from the tap he'd put on her phone and a microphone in her bedroom. Wow. And like, it's not just like he's listening to phone calls and listening to discussions, which are is horrible. I'm not saying that's okay. But what's even more weird is that if she had a man over, he would listen to the entire event in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. Everything. That is super weird. And inappropriate. Like, yeah, inappropriate, why definitely. Why would you want to hear your current wife, because they haven't been gotten divorced yet, right? with someone else. Yeah. Why would you want to listen to that? Yeah. Is it like you're a glutton for punishment or you're getting off to it? Like, there's nothing that could explain that to be like, okay, I kind of get that. Like, it's yeah. super weird. It's just super weird. It's really creepy. He even occasionally listened from Alice's own basement and once interrupted Alice and a man that she was with. So they're in the room naked, either getting it on or about to get it on. And Eddie burst into the bedroom and started yelling and freaking out. And Alice was like, all right, this is it. I'm filing for divorce. Like the separation is not going to work. And that was kind of the last straw for her. And Eddie claimed that the reason he bugged her phones and her house was to get some incriminating evidence on Alice for the custody case. But he later said he just wanted to be close to her, quote, personal things, Mm, which is mm. super weird. Yeah, I hate that. He's like following her around and collecting her hair and making a hair doll. Yeah, exactly. He's so weird. And Alice claimed that at some point, Eddie admitted to her or confessed to her that he had exposed himself to little girls in a park. What? That came out of nowhere. And... She even reported that to the police, you know, because you would think that would go a long way in this custody battle. Like, mm-hmm. hey, he has exposed himself to little girls. This is, he's got a daughter. Like, that's a sex offender. Mm-hmm. So the kids probably aren't safe in his care or there's something going on there. At least it needs to be investigated and looked at. And the police didn't care. That's so crazy. It was like, just boys like- Boys will be boys. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was just like, well, you know- what a grown man wants to do is what a grown man wants to do kind of thing. Like they, it did not concern them at all. Wow. And apparently later he would say that he made up that whole, like I exposed myself to little girls in a park to make her feel better because she thought she alone ruined their marriage. Yeah. And that's what he said. I'm not sure that she felt that way. No, I'm sure she didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And he's just like, oh, well, she felt so bad that I made something up so that she didn't feel like all the fault. Well, he had to make something up because he did everything right in the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's just he had to make (laughs) something up so that she was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not all the problem. I'm not the whole, you know, thing. What a stand up guy. I know. He's just selfless, is what he is, because he's thinking Mm -hmm. about everybody else's feelings except his own. I know. Wow. It's like, I, even at the expense of my own great reputation, I'm going to say this because I want her to feel better about her. Yeah, exactly. And he had to have known that there wouldn't be any repercussions for that. Mm -hmm. Because in this day and age, if you go and tell your wife that and you're in a custody battle, it's like, kiss your kids goodbye. Mm -hmm. Like, 
Yeah, that ain't. So I don't know. He had to have known that it wasn't going to matter. Yeah. Think. Dog ain't going to hunt. Nope. So we're going to go to the day of the disappearance. Alice and Eddie, this is July 13th, 1965. Alice and Eddie had spent their day separately, but still orbiting each other. Eddie woke early that Tuesday to play golf. After playing the course, he spent time in the clubhouse with a friend drinking beer and watching the Mets on TV and left around 2 p.m. Then he had to check on Alice. So he went to see if Alice was spending time with one of her side pieces. And his name was Joseph Rorish. And I guess he went by Joe. She's certainly not going to keep tabs on herself, so. Well, no, she's not checking in with him, so he's got to go make sure and see what... It's like, he's like, well, and then I had to go across town over here and do this and do that. It's like, it's not the same as like, I had an appointment with the dentist. It's like... Yeah, I had you to pick up my dry cleaning. Yeah, you didn't, you have, didn't to have to do that. You made yourself do that. Mm-hmm. Joe was described as a tall, muscular, and chiseled man with dark, wavy hair that he combed straight back. He was also less flatteringly said to have been a high-rolling, heavy-drinking fella who was loud and a compulsive womanizer. Joe was also a devout Roman Catholic who was married with seven children. Hmm. Six kids Catholic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I guess devout, we would have to take that loosely because I'm pretty sure the whole like adultery thing is not... a compulsive womanizer. Yeah. Yeah. Not okay, but you know. I mean, well, you can play the role at church. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Joe's also in big time financial trouble. He had deals that were floundering and he was drowning in debt. His wife was selling encyclopedias door to door to supplement their income, but Joe was still writing rubber checks to his creditors and using aliases to dodge creditors and police alike. Stand up guy. Right. Door to door encyclopedia salesman. It's That's one of those things where it's like, tell me how old you are uh-huh. without telling me how old you are. Yeah, exactly. I used to sell encyclopedias door to door. Like, yeah. And we used to look stuff up in encyclopedias. Like dad still has an entire set. Yeah. Like if we had a question, it wasn't Google it, obviously. It was go look it up in the encyclopedia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine? No. <laughs> and what do you do when like the information isn't in there yet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, well... You have to buy a whole new set. I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Alice was actually picnicking with the kids in Kissina Park, six blocks away from their apartment. She claimed that they were there from between 2.30 p.m. to about 4.30 p.m. Eddie got home around 5 p.m. and watched TV. Around this time, two gas station attendants were called seeing Alice get gas. After their picnic and a stop for gas, Alice and the kids went by a deli in their neighborhood to pick up food for dinner. She bought a pack of frozen veal and a can of string beans and a bottle of soda. Once at home, her she called her attorney, Michael LaPena, who had been recommended by her millionaire highway contractor boyfriend, Anthony Tony Grace, who was in his 50s with a pencil-thin mustache and a diamond pinky ring. Tony was short and stocky and wore silk suits. That sounds like something that a Tony Grace would wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. His silk suits. Yes. Alice and LaPena talked about the custody hearing, which was scheduled for a week from then. And they discussed the problem with the former nanny, Evelyn Linder Atkins. See, okay, so Evelyn had babysat for the Crimmins kids once while Alice was at a party on Tony Grace's yacht. Of course he has a yacht. (laughs) And Alice didn't come home when she was supposed to. 
So she ended up calling Evelyn from the yacht with the story that Tony and his friends had playfully locked her and another guy's girlfriend on the yacht and sailed off. Evelyn called Eddie and told him Alice had abandoned the kids. Eddie used this against Alice and told her that he she wasn't going to be able to take care of the kids like she wasn't fit to. So now Evelyn was claiming Alice owed her $600 and was willing to testify against her at the child custody hearing if she wasn't paid. Isn't that extortion? Yes, it's 100% extortion. And how are you? Okay, I understand if you were a babysitter and you're like, all right, see at 10 and then 10 o'clock rolls around and Alice calls and she's like, hey, actually, I'm not gonna be home tonight. That sucks. That's not abandonment. She told them, I'm going to be home. I just, I'm not going to be home on the t- at the time that I'm going to be or that I was. Yeah, I, I read a couple different reports of how it went down. Like some people said that she called. Some people said that she didn't call until two days later and was like, oh, by the way, I've been on a yacht because 60s, I guess. Yeah. So, and it was like a couple days later that Evelyn called Eddie and was like, you need to come get these kids because Alice never came home. I mean, that could very well be the case. I just am thinking of Mad Men and when Don Draper or whatever his actual name is just took off for like a month and a half. <laughs> Remember? No. You didn't? I haven't watched all of it. Oh, well, spoiler alert. That's what happened. Yeah. And then he goes back home and everybody's like, oh, dad's home. Oh, I think maybe I did watch. Was, it, was he still married to Betty? I don't think he was married to her by then. Oh, Okay. I think he was with, what was her name? Why am I thinking? Megan? I want to call her. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. She was pissed. Oh, she was very pissed. Yeah. But the kids were just like, hey, it's yeah. dad. There's dad. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, and if if she goes thinking she's just going to a party and then they're like, bye, we've sailed off. Like, what is she supposed to do? Right. I mean, it definitely does not look good. Mm -mm. But if she wasn't planning for that to happen and she had no way of getting off that ship, like, you'd think she'd be pretty pissed at Tony. Like, you kind of fucking kidnapped me, dude. Yeah, exactly. Like, I have shit to do. Yeah, I have have kids I have to get back to. Like, what are you thinking? Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. So Alice's attorney was not hopeful that Alice would win this case. After she got off the phone with LaPena, Alice fed the kids dinner around 7.30 p.m. and then took them for a car ride. She was trying to locate Eddie's new apartment. She knew Eddie had bugged her phone and wanted to get, and she wanted to get some more damaging information on him too. But after more than an hour of driving and the sun was setting, Alice hadn't found the apartment, so she headed home. It's just unhealthy on both sides. Like, yeah, they're both toxic. Yeah. But I think it kind of reminds me of, oh my gosh, in heaven, what, why can't I think of her name? It's reminiscent. I don't even know if it's fair to even make the comparison, but young emotionally immature. It reminds me of that Tulsa, was it Tulsa or Kansas? They were in that high rise apartment complex. Oh, uh uh-huh. Amber Hilberling. Yes. Yeah. This relationship reminds me of their relationship. Like I'm sure there was love there. I know there's a lot of anger, resentment, and jealousy, Mm -hmm. but they're not handling it in a mature way, especially with two children. And Amber was pregnant. Like Right, yeah. It's kind of reminiscent like the way that they're treating each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she got the kids ready for bed around 9 p.m. and had them say their prayers. Alice wanted to repair the screen on the kids' window, so she brought in her own bedroom window screen to try and switch them out, but hers didn't fit, so she replaced the original screen, but she didn't secure it in place. Yeah, and she was doing that 
because the inspection with like on the custody case was getting ready to come up and she didn't want it to look like the kid's window was in disrepair or whatever. She was trying to make it look better. So right, that was one thing that she was trying to do. So she specifically remembered doing that. And she also ended up throwing out all the wine and liquor in her house. Wow. For that reason. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for all intents and purposes, she was trying. Mm -hmm. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. By 1030... She flopped onto the couch to watch TV and she was upset because Tony had not called her back. So she ended up calling him at a bar in the Bronx. Around 11 p.m., Eddie drove to a fast food stand. He bought a pizza and a large Pepsi and headed home. But Alice hadn't been stalked all day. So he stopped off at a bar for some gin and tonics until about 2.45 a.m. And then he headed over to Alice's. Does he, uh, like he works. So when I don't know, I guess he... Yeah, like that's, these are long hours. Mm-hmm. He's very committed to his job. Yeah, that's true. So he parked in the lot that gave him a view of her bedroom window. Lights were on in her living room and bedroom, according to Eddie. Alice was now on the phone with another former beau, Joe Roresh. She had met him in January of 1964 when she was working as a cocktail waitress at the Bourbon House Bar. Tonight, he asked her to join him at a bar in Long Island, but she brushed him off and told him that she couldn't get a babysitter at this time of night and on such short notice. They said goodbye, and Alice turned back to the TV. Is this at three o'clock in the morning? <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's crazy. Or, oh, no, no just, I guess not. It was before this. It is pretty late. Like, 
she stays up super late this night too. Like Mm -hmm. they don't get a whole lot of sleep. It's so weird. And by this point in her relationship with Joe, she's more into Tony. Mm -hmm. She's kind of over Joe by this point. So she, you know, Joe's like, why don't you come out with me? And she's like, I don't want to go to the trouble, like getting a babysitter and all the things. So if it had been Tony, she would have been like, let me make some calls. Yeah, exactly. And I think she was asking Tony to come see her that night. And he said he was too busy or he had too much going on and he couldn't make it over that night. So she was going to have Tony come to her house. She didn't invite Joe to her house. Mm -hmm. It was just, meh, never mind. (laughs) I'm not that into it. Yeah, exactly. Around midnight, Alice took Eddie to the bathroom, but she couldn't get Missy to wake up, so she left her sleeping. Once the midnight bathroom trip was over, Alice latched the door, and this was like a hook and eye lock on the outside of the door, so she latches it. The latch was reportedly in place of on the outside of the kid's bedroom door to keep Eddie, who had been described in one article as chubby, I don't like that, mm-hmm. from raiding the fridge. I... I'm not sure how I feel about this. Like, I have a little thing on the outside of Ben's door that makes the door handle so he can't open it. But I don't, I only use it, like I would only use it when he was first like learning to sleep in his bed. Cause he would come out of his room a hundred times a night, you know? Mm -hmm. Can you move my pillow? Can you do this? Can you do that? Or if he was having a temper tantrum and he was supposed to be in timeout and he would try to come out of his room, I would put that on so he couldn't open it. But that's just for however long. Like once he's calmed down, you go open it. Or once he's like ready to go to sleep, I would go open it. I wouldn't leave it locked all night long because what if he did need to get out? Like, Mm -hmm. and Alice would like, she would have these late nights and she would sleep till like really late. Like sometimes in the afternoon, she'd sleep that long. And the kids would just be locked in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they would just have to fend for themselves. It's like, you'll just have to be okay with not having breakfast or lunch today. Hmm. I don't know. Very strange. Like, and it's, it's an actual lock on the outside of the door. Like if the goal is that he doesn't get in the fridge, could you not find like, could you zip tie the fridge shut or like, I don't know. Is there something you could do to keep the fridge shut? (laughs) Like, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Because I definitely know that I could have benefited from something like that when I was younger, maybe not from the fridge, but from zebra cakes. I would get up in the middle of the night and go eat like packs of zebra cakes. Yeah, let's not even talk about how many butter sticks I ate. (laughs) True. (laughs) That was when you were little, little, little. Yeah, I was a little baby. But they could have hit the butter a little better. Yeah. I'm sure they were like, oh, look how cute she is just eating whole sticks of butter. (laughs) We'll just nickname her Paula Dean. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired. Yep. Yep. Mo better or mo better, mo better. Mm-hmm. So Alice took her dog Brandy for a walk and sat on the front stoop outside for a bit. Meanwhile, Eddie went home and called her to talk about the situation with her former nanny. She got mad and hung up on Eddie and he spent the rest of the night slash early morning watching a movie on TV and reading. He was asleep by 4 a.m. on July 14th. After the phone call, Alice needed some time to call down, so she took Brandy for another walk. She then took a bath and was in bed asleep by 3.30 or 4 a.m. They go to bed so late. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I literally (laughs) do not understand it. Mm -mm. Okay, so July 14th. Alice wakes up five hours later at 9 a.m., and she unlocks the door on the outside of the kid's room. She's expecting to find Missy and Eddie 
awake and ready for breakfast. And like, I mean, that's just the weird thing. It's like, it's not like she unlocks it on a normal basis before they wake up or I don't know. It's just like, figure it out, kids. Mm -hmm. But when she opened the door, the room was empty. So she calls Eddie and, you know, was like, please tell me that you have the kids. Like, please tell me you came over and got them. Like, you know, and he's like, I don't have them. And she's like, stop messing with me. Like, come on, you've got the kids, you've got the kids, you've got the kids. He's like, no, I don't. So he comes over, they call the police and they were questioned and the house was searched and investigated. So the first detective on the scene was Gerald, who went by Jerry Peering. And from the beginning, he saw this case as his stairway to a promotion. (laughs) So that's going to be like, Awesome detective work, right? Like you're going to do everything by the book. You're not going to get tunnel vision. You're not going to just try to get a conviction as soon as possible. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what that means. Reported as having, quote, more enthusiasm than expertise (laughs) and, quote, short with feral ambition, Detective Peering saw Alice and from that moment, he had no further suspects. He felt like she didn't look like an anxious mother whose kids were missing. He literally like saw her and said, I don't like her. And he even with the other detectives said like they were each going to question like Alice and Eddie separately. And he said, you take him and I'll take the bitch. Hmm. And he's like not even spoken to her at this point. It's just amazing to me. Yeah, he's just like so, he's so mad at her. Yes, yes. There is something deep-seated there Mm -hmm. because he, yeah, he has this intense hatred for her and he's like only just met her. The detective was in his 30s and a father of six kids himself, six kids Catholic probably. (laughs) Uh, So he knows what a mother is supposed to look like. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Alice was a pretty woman in her 20s and when Peering got to her apartment on July 14th, she was fully made up and dressed in quote, hip-hugging Torador slacks? I have no idea. I don't know. Someone looked him up and posted a, a link. We'll take a look at him. But I've never heard of that. She was also wearing a flowery blouse and white high heels. And of course, her Thank You for the Country Music Award hair. And, you know, you add to this a lack of tears being shed and her fate was sealed in his eyes. She's not grieving, right? Right. She's not acting appropriately. Peering was updated on the background of Eddie and Alice and then separated them for questions. And that's when he said, you know, like I said, she looks like a cold bitch to me. You take the husband, I'll take the bitch. Like, Mm -mm. in that moment, I feel like his partner had the responsibility to be like, you are already too emotionally invested. We don't know anything yet. You're already on her. Like, that needs to be reported to somebody, you know? Right, but there were reports that the partner was ready, like nearing retirement and he just couldn't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. It's just so many things in this case that went that way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Peering took Alice to her bedroom where along with the birth control, he noticed something poking out from under the bed that turned out to be an overnight bag full of greeting cards and invitations from the upper echelons of New York society. People like the mayor, Robert Wagner, and even Senator Robert Kennedy all writing to, quote, Rusty or inviting her to parties. Did they call her Rusty because she had red hair? I hate it. I yes. hate it. I'm like, why are you calling her Rusty? That's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Grace had in- 
introduced her to these people and quote, Rusty had apparently made a good impression. Like all these people are like writing to her, which is... I would be more okay with people calling her Red. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Rusty. Rusty. Yeah. Also in the apartment, Peering noticed the empty bottles of alcohol in the trash and a little black book where the men outnumbered the women in a ratio reported as four to one. Little black books were fine for bachelors, but not for moms. You cannot do that. No. And apparently in that age, bachelors could, if you were a single man, fine. Even if you were a married man, I'm sure, fine. (laughs) Yeah. But single women, that's, you're just a floozy and a tramp. Mm -hmm. And then if you do it as a soon-to-be single mother, you are a total slut. Yeah. And it's very much that, I can't remember exactly which case they talked about in Women in Crime, but you know, they're both criminologists and- they both teach criminology at a college and they talk about how women seen as violating the mother role typically get harsher punishments and juries come down harder on them. You know, it's like, this is what you're supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to act. And when you violate that, it really, really outrages a lot of people. I'm going to share a case that I find very, very similar. Hmm. Darlie Routier. Yes. Yep. I agree. And like, there's not that same outrage when it's it's seen as a father not acting appropriately as a father, right? Like, even the police at that time being like, oh, Eddie exposed himself to kids in the park. I mean, you know, whatever he wants to do. Like, it's a man's right to do what he wants to do kind of thing. Mm -hmm. A man should be able to go out and have a beer after work every single night if he wants to be gone for eight hours and not help with the kids. They're not his responsibility. Yeah, Yeah. he works hard. And it's all of that, you know, obviously at that time fell on the woman and she was just supposed to be okay with it. Like, I mean, I know watching Mad Men, it was just like, your husband is gone in the city all week. He has his apartment there. And it's none of your business what he does when he's there. Mm-mm. If he cheats on you, that's his thing. He's got to blow off steam and he's got, you know, men have needs. So they have to have the companionship. Right. When they're in the city. Yeah. And that's just none of your business. Mm-hmm. But if you need companionship in the country, you're a floozy. Mm-hmm. Peering questioned Alice about the events on July 13th, and she told him everything she'd done with the kids while Eddie told his side of July 13th to Detective Martin. After his questioning of Alice, Peering went to the kids' room. In the room, he noticed that the bureau under the window had a coating of dust on top of it. In his brain, he was convinced that this meant the kids could not have gone out the window since they would have had to go over the bureau and thus would have removed dust. He even recalled moving a lamp on the bureau and seeing a circle left in the dust. However, there were issues with Peering's account of the state of the bureau. First being that the lamp didn't even have a circle base. It had a tripod base that was confirmed by Alice, her brother John, and others who'd been in the room. More than that, the quote dust that Peering saw was actually fingerprinting dust that had been used on the bureau before he entered. Oh my God. Not to mention that the night before, Alice admitted that she tried to replace the screen, meaning she would have had to lean over the bureau, probably wiping any dust that had been there off 
long before the kids disappeared. But Peering didn't even note this dust or circle or the circle from the lamp in his first report. This lack of documentation would be a recurring theme in Peering's investigation. And there's also no photos of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you just have to take his word for it. He also later claimed that there had been an empty box of frozen manicotti in the trash can and a plate of leftover manicotti in the fridge. But this was also not in his original report. And we'll get into the significance of the manicotti a little bit later. Yes. But all of that, like the whole, well, I distinctly remember, you know, moving the circle lamp and there being a circle imprint in the dust or whatever. And then later being like, yeah, so the lamp was not a circle at all. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of reminds me of the Curtis Loveless case where the guy's on the stand and he's like, did you know the EMT moved her hands and that's why they're floating and not on anything? And he's like, no, I didn't know that. So it's like, there's an explanation for this. You're either not thinking through it, you're not- someone or talked. Yeah, exactly. You're not asking anybody, you're making- you're coming to this conclusion in your head that there's no other logical explanation for it. Right. So let's talk about Missy. Missy's body was found around 11 a.m. in a vacant lot by a young boy. She was lying on her side dressed only in a white t-shirt and yellow underpants, but her blue flowery pajama top was tied tightly around her neck. Her eyes red from the strangulation. Detective Peering was told of the discovery and decided to use this opportunity to test Alice. Instead of telling her and Eddie right away, she was shuttled to the vacant lot and without any warning was placed directly in front of her dead four-year-old daughter. What in the world? That is just cruel. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Absolutely. Who does this guy think he is? I know. He's just like, because, okay, I get that. Of course, the parents have to be investigated. Like, you would be remiss not to do that, right? Like, you need to do that. Right. He's not looking at Eddie, but he's already decided that she's done it. And so instead of doing a proper death notification, you've put her in this situation where, like, it is just cruel. And if she is really a grieving mother and a victim herself of a murder of her children... That's just so evil to do to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, I think in those situations, you have to err on the side of, we need to operate this way because what if I'm wrong? And what if she didn't do this? Like, look at what you've done to somebody mm-hmm. who didn't deserve it. I don't know. I just feel like you wanting to punish somebody for something that they did when you could very well be punishing somebody who didn't do anything at all. Like, yeah, just an innocent victim. Yeah, the it's like the risk doesn't outweigh the, quote, you know, reward. Well, yeah, but I mean, it is very obvious that his mind was completely 100% made up. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So Alice gets there and she goes, it's Missy. And she fainted. Yeah, passed right out. Mm-hmm. She was caught by Detective Peering, who considered this a theatrical reaction. Uh-huh. Alice was assisted back to the police cruiser and driven home. Peering noted that Alice didn't cry the whole drive back, but instead spent the drive in a kind of daze, staring straight ahead and answering questions in a, quote, flat, expressionless tone, end quote. Which sounds like she's in shock. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, we talked about this so many times. No one can tell anyone how they're supposed to act. Right. I'm sure I would cry a lot because I'm a crier, but there are Mm -hmm. people who are not 
criers. Like I could see you, if you find out some news that is very difficult, just kind of going into that shock and just being like flat, emotionless. Like, yeah, I think I would like remove myself from reality for a minute. Yeah. I would go into hysterics. You would not, but we're both feeling the same feeling. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, but if she had cried that whole way back, he would have been like, she's making that up. Well, yeah, she fainted and that was a theatrical reaction. Right. Like, that seems like a, if you can actually faint, but like, I don't know how you can make yourself actually faint, but if she actually did faint, that seems like a genuine reaction. Yeah. So as soon as they were back at the apartment with the media showing up in droves, having caught wind of the case with their cameras flashing in her face, Alice, her tears began to flow. This cemented Pierce, <laughs> Peering's feelings about Alice and he felt like she was faking grief. Mm-hmm. But perhaps the flashing light snapped her out of her shock and that's where the tears came from. Like maybe that was, maybe that was a moment of reality for her. Like maybe that's when reality hit where she was like, oh my right. gosh, this is real. Yeah, because his view of it was, well, you couldn't cry for your daughter, but you can cry in front of the camera. So you're obviously putting on a show. Mm -hmm. It just, you know. Nothing could please this man though. Right. He is out to get her. Yeah. And if you look at people's reactions as an indicator of their guilt or not, you're bringing your own emotion and your own perception. Like, Facts are what you need to stick to because there's Mm -hmm. just no way to know how people are going to react. Now, there are things that people can do that can raise red flags and can raise suspicion. And if you feel like, you know, that she's not appropriately reacting, you know, maybe you tuck that in your back pocket, but that's not what you base a case on. Yeah. If you're in an interrogation room with Jodi Arias and she starts singing, and doing headstands, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, that's pretty weird, but you don't, they didn't convict her based on just that. Right. And I think about Casey Anthony too, because a lot of people kind of called this case, like before there was Casey Anthony, there was Alice Crimmins. And I think it's because Alice Crimmins was like the most hated mom in America at one point. But to me, that's where the similarity really ends because. The things that Casey Anthony did during the investigation, all that stuff were very, very suspicious. But Casey Anthony did a lot of those things while her daughter was still missing. And she's Mm -hmm. acting like she's trying to find her daughter every day, but she's out partying and doing all this stuff. Alice's kids have already been found. And it's not, I don't think it's a healthy way to express her grief or anything like that. But those two things are very different. It's like Casey Anthony didn't report her daughter missing for 31 days. Mm-hmm. Alice and Eddie reported them missing within... As soon as they found out. out. Yeah, like as soon as they found out. So those are two just very different things. Mm-hmm. So the following morning, the detectives came back and were made to wait while Alice put on her makeup. Author Ken Gross told or wrote in the Alice Crimmins case that things like this enraged the police and the public as a whole because here was a, quote, woman who was supposed to be in the ultimate stages of grief and anxiety, her son was still missing, was more concerned about appearance. Eddie was still missing and unfortunately his little body was found the following Monday by a man and his son. Eddie was covered in a blanket and was by now too badly decomposed to determine how he died. 
His body had been gnawed on by rats and insects and was outside for possibly almost a week. Hmm. Eddie was found a mile from home near the grounds of the New York World's Fair that was currently in progress. Little Eddie and Missy were buried the same day in the same plot and Alice and Eddie were left to try to move forward. But the police always came back to Alice in their, quote, investigation. Alice and Eddie even reconciled and fell back together for a while after the death of their children, which is kind of surprising because a lot of times it tears people apart. Right. And I wonder if that's a motive for Eddie. Mm-hmm. You know? Because, it worked. Yeah, because we've seen that happen where people will kill somebody, you know, a current partner or whatever, so that they can get somebody back. I mean, that's why Diane Downs did it. She was trying to get somebody Ugh, back. Diane Downs. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of snapped episodes. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Alice still didn't look like the grieving mother. She spent many nights in bars and clubs drinking and dancing. It was noted that this could be a coping mechanism. One article suggested that Alice had previously used pleasures of the flesh to fill the void of loneliness when Eddie wasn't showing her attention. Perhaps she was just doing the same to fill the void of grief. The makeup and hair were also written about in some light or in the same light. Ken Gross wrote, it was an important part of her, the makeup. Later, it would be misunderstood, dismissed as cold vanity. But the adolescent acne of her well-scrubbed Catholic girlhood had burrowed into her permanent feelings of inferiority. It would take her the better part of an hour and that great affliction of her acne-scarred complexion would be disguised with expert care. Yep. I kind of relate to that a little bit. I am, I would say, I mean, you, I think you would agree with this. I'm almost addicted to wearing makeup every day. Oh yeah. If Torella is upright, she is wearing makeup. Yeah. I won't do anything until I've got my full makeup done. And I mean, even on days that I am sick as a dog, I will get up even if it takes me two hours and I have to like go back and like sit down. I'll, I'll put makeup on. Like, I don't know. I, mine, I think comes from like, a lot of buried mom issues for me, Mm -hmm. but it is something that is very like, it sounds really stupid. Like, okay, well, why can't you just go without makeup? But 
there's a lot of these deep issues that I feel like I need to wear it. And I mean, I kind of get it. I, now, I don't know what I would be like if my child had passed away. Like, right. I feel like I probably wouldn't. I, but I don't know. I mean, you just don't know. But the thing is, you have to look at it too. A lot of times in a state of chaos, sometimes you have to do one thing that makes it feel normal to you. Yeah, you have or to, like the one thing that you can control. Yeah. Yeah. I control this. So yeah, that's the one thing that makes my life feel like it's not falling apart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like a lot of people do stuff to take their mind off of stuff. If a man during this time had thrown himself into work and had worked long hours, you know, and started like staying at the office all day and late into the night, people would have been like, wow, he's really grieving. He's like, he's really just trying to take his mind off of it. Right. Yeah. Double standard. Yeah. Oh, my God. Alice's fainting at the scene of Missy's body was another thing that Peering was counting against her. But apparently, Alice had a tendency to wilt in situations of extreme emotions, and it will be seen more throughout the case. While investigating Alice, the police talked to Tony Grace and other men in her life that were in her little black book. They also looked at a series of burglaries in the neighborhood by the pants burglar who would break into houses and steal men's pants, but none were investigated with the fervor that they used on Alice. The pants burglar. Not cousin of the Hamburglar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like at the family reunion, they're like, how many pants did you get, man? <laughs> right? Yeah. Wearing them all right now. <laughs> yeah, I got 40 burgers. <laughs> so the police at this point are doing everything they can to take Alice down, essentially. They tried to get Joe to flip on her because they thought he would be like, he would be able to get information out of her and they just knew that she did it. So they just needed her to confess to him during like pillow talk or something basically. And they even administered truth serum to him to try to get him to talk, but he never, he never gave them any information that they wanted. So instead of them taking that as a hint that nothing happened, they took that as they need to just try another way. Um, they just were not having it. And uh, they ended up getting, having Eddie take a polygraph and he took it and they said that he passed. And then he told Alice, like, just take the polygraph and they'll leave you alone. Like, that's all you need to do. And so she started taking it and she ended up walking out in the middle of it. She got very angry with them and just left. So she didn't finish it. And I also read that the day before Eddie took his polygraph that he went to the library and like spent an entire day reading all about polygraphs. Hmm. I feel like that's interesting. Polygraphs for dummies, yeah. Yeah. So the police started listening in on Alice. They bugged her apartment. They basically probably sat down with Eddie and they were like, yeah, can we borrow your equipment? But if she brought a guy home, they would call Eddie and tell him and that would start fights. Um, She ended up going back and using her maiden name to try to get jobs to work because, you know, she was well known as Alice Crimmins. And then the police would call places that she worked and be like, hey, you know that the person that you have working for you is actually Alice Crimmins and she's suspected of murdering her children and then she would get fired. 
That is so insane. How terrible. The whole thing of like, I mean, it's just so inappropriate. Like why these detectives were not pulled off this case for being like, you have tunnel vision to the point that you are like actively just trying to ruin somebody's life. You have no proof that anything has happened. Mm -mm. Well, and we talk about other cases where the suspects are like, the police are out to get me. They're framing me. And I'm like, you don't know what framing is. Alice Crimmins is being like framed and, you know, like done dirty by the police. I mean, there are a lot of other cases that that do. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying like, this is a very egregious case of the police really going in for Alice. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's insane. So during this time, they tried to, like they went in front of a couple grand juries to try to get an indictment to bring charges against Alice. And two grand juries said, no, like there's no evidence here. You can't take this to trial. So they ended up getting an anonymous letter from somebody. And the letter ended up changing everything. And that is what ended up getting them the indictment with the third grand jury. I'm sure it did. They were like, who can we pay exactly. to write a letter? Yeah, this is very curious timing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so tell us about this letter. Oh, so the letter was written by a woman named Sophie Irmaris, Irmar, uh-oh, Irmarski. Irmarski, yeah. She was a neighbor of Alice's in 1965. And on November 30th, 1966, she wrote the letter. And she said that she had been having trouble sleeping that July night. So she looked out her window to see a man, a woman, and a child in a bundle of something wrapped in a blanket. And it was signed a reader. So to find out who the reader was, they went to the apartment complex and they looked around to see who could see Alice's apartment or wherever they were like, loading stuff like what she saw they tried to find who could have seen that from where they were like you know Mm -hmm. looking for windows that could have been in the line of sight and they narrowed it down to like 39 apartments so they removed the ones with ac units so that removed they're playing guess who yep yeah exactly does your apartment have an ac unit no so yeah all these 39 apartments are down So from the leftover apartments, they obtained handwriting samples and figured out that the letter was written by Sophie. Sophie ID'd Alice as the woman she saw that night and then testified at the third grand jury hearing. And despite having... So Alice had red hair, but in her letter, Sophie wrote that she had dark hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And And in the letter, she was just saying, I saw a woman with dark hair. I saw a man who was tall, not heavy with dark hair. Like she's describing these people as like, I don't know who they are, but this is their descriptions. But then by the time she gets here to testify, she's like, oh, it was Alice. It was definitely Alice. Yeah, yeah, I know Alice and it was her. So Sophie said that she remembered some new details after she had been located, right? So in the, in the letter, she didn't remember a ton. Once they found her, she magically remembered a lot more. She says that she remembers the woman saying, my God, don't throw her like that. The testimony was what turned the tables. So basically, Sophie made the police, like all of the higher ups believe that it was reasonable to think the bundle Mm -hmm. that they had was the body of Missy Mm -hmm. and that the little boy that was walking with them was Eddie. Yeah. And 
if when you go around and actually talk to neighbors and other people in that area, they will all tell you that Sophie has a really bad problem with embellishing stories. Mm-hmm. Like you can get to some truth with her. Mm-hmm. Like you can boil down to like nuggets of truth, but everything around it is built up in this like fantasy world mm-hmm. that you have to take everything that she says with not even just a grain, a grain of salt, like with like a whole spoonful of salt. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure with her stories, she was like, and then a hawk came uh-huh. and scooped him up. And, you know, but also where she was standing and where they would have been loading the these children into the car, she could not have heard anything that was said. Exactly. She was too far away. Yeah, it was way too far away. And you wouldn't have been able to, it was dark and you wouldn't have been able to see people's features that clearly. Like it would mm-hmm. have been more like a silhouette than oh, I'm looking at exactly, you know, because from that far away, like even if you were walking outside, I might not be able to tell, you know, like I can see in the door. Yeah, exactly. It's like, seriously. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that was a big deal during this trial was the food in Missy's stomach at autopsy. The medical examiner, Dr. Milton Helpern, said that she had eaten less than two hours before she died. So if Alan was the last one to feed him, I'm sorry, Alan. Alan. So if Alice was the last (laughs) one to feed them, who's Alan? (laughs) And who's him? Oh my God. What am I doing? (laughs) I'm acting like Jesse. Everything is a him to him. It's like, well, but again, who's Alan? Yeah, exactly. Um... If Alice had been the last one to feed her, then Missy would have been dead before midnight is what they were saying. The suggestion being that she killed them before the midnight bathroom trip and thus lied about that fact. Now, initially, the medical examiner's time of death was he couldn't nail it down. So he said anywhere between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. So it was a very wide range and that obviously wasn't going to work for the prosecution. So they had to get him to change that. But while Dr. Helpern claimed that Missy died no more than two hours after eating, another medical examiner, Dr. Richard Grimes, testified that like he used body temperatures deep tissue temperatures to nail down the time of death, not the food in her stomach. And so he said she had died at least six to 12 hours before she was discovered. So between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. So you've got one person saying this is it. You've got another person. I mean, battle of the experts, right? It's always like that. Mm -hmm. But they both testified that Missy's last meal consisted of something like macaroni and there was no meat, the veal, in her stomach. And later they would testify that neither child had veal in their stomach. So this suggested that the kids either never ate the veal or that Missy might have had another meal at some unknown time, an unknown place, considerably after the one taken at home. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of, because, I mean, would the manicotti match up with the macaroni-like stuff? But we don't know if the manicotti was actually found because he didn't take pictures of it. Right. But is it possible that she bought the veal and the kids didn't want that? And so she heated them up something else? Or is it possible that 
she made the veal for the kids. And then as this sometimes happens, like I will go ahead and make the kids dinner. And for whatever reason, I'm not hungry then or whatever. And then later I'll have a bowl of cereal. I'll heat something up for myself after they go to bed. Like, right. Sometimes you're not all eating the same thing, I guess. And you don't always end up eating the thing that you planned on eating that night. Yeah, absolutely. Or like maybe whoever, if somebody took them out of their rooms, maybe they fed them Mm -hmm. before, you know? I mean, there's just like so many different things. Yeah, and everything that you're saying is pointing to Alice. Yeah. So Joe, remember they could not get Joe to roll over on Alice. Right. I mean, they end up extorting him in a way. Oh yeah, they were like, if you don't make this happen, something bad is going to happen to you and your family. Yeah, well, they what they told him was they had found out that, and you know, remember this is the 60s. Oh yeah, he's bisexual. They found out he was bisexual. So they said, you know, are you dating a woman and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, we actually heard that it was supposed to be, so a woman named Ramona. And they're like, well, actually we think it's more like Ramon. Uh-huh. And they said that Ramon was, their term was cross-dresser, mm-hmm. but, and that Joe was dating this person and that they would leak that. And so at that, t- like, that was something he didn't want his wife to know. That was something he didn't mm-hmm. want the public to know. He would have lost his job, probably. I mean, there was a lot of things that went into that. that talk about cancel culture. That would have been the end for him. Yeah, exactly. And it was the end for so many people who, like, you know, anybody who was gay during that time or anything other than heterosexual. And, you know, it was, your whole life was ruined if if people found out. It's like, does being gay hurt? It hurts hurts the the ones ones you love. love. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, that's how they, uh, that's how they viewed it. It's, uh, that's not a saying that that's how it is. Like, no, it's not true. (laughs) Exactly. It's not true. It's so ridiculous. But so he ends up being like, okay, fine, I'll testify against her. And he gets up on the stand and says that one night they were talking and she says, Joe, please forgive me. I did it. I killed her. I killed Missy. And Alice jumped up during his testimony and was like, Joe, you of all people, like, this is not true. How could you do this to me? You are a liar. You are lying. And um, obviously that doesn't go over well in court, but I mean, she just, she could not hold it back at that point. Mm-hmm. So then Sophie testifies and she's adding even more <laughs> details, right? Because right. she can't stop adding details. It's what she does. It's who she is as a person. So she's going back over her story and she mentioned Alice's pregnant dog during this, like while she's testifying. So the thing is, Alice did not know that Brandy was pregnant, her dog Brandy, that she walked twice that night. She didn't know she was pregnant then. She just knew that she was going to the bathroom a lot more and she didn't realize why. She was just like, I don't know why, but she has to pee all the time now. So I have to walk her more often. But she ended up having puppies like a few days after the kids went missing or a few days after they were found. Yeah, she had one puppy. Oh, she had one puppy. So, but what Sophie said was that You know, she sees these people walking out and the man tells the woman to hurry up and the woman yells back, the dog is pregnant. And the man was complaining about the woman having to bring the dog. So we know this isn't true because at that time, no one knew that she was pregnant. They didn't know that she was pregnant. When Brandy had that puppy, everybody was incredibly surprised. Like nobody knew it was coming. 
Mm-hmm. So Alice called her a liar too, which again, doesn't go over that great. But, and for some reason, people really liked Sophie. Like she had people laughing. The jury really took to her. Like she was very charismatic. So- Well, I mean, people liked Robert Durst too. Yes, I know. So like, even though she's basically caught in lies, they believed her, I guess. They liked I her. Guess. Or they're like, well- I mean, yeah, does she lie to my face all the time? Sure. But is she hilarious? Yes. We can deal with this. Yeah, we can can look the other way on that kind of stuff. And she even, like when she stepped down from the stand after giving her testimony, she threw her hands up like a boxer who had just won a fight. Oh, wow. And like when she was arriving to testify, she's doing like the wave. Like she's a celebrity and she's getting there to like her fans. She's like, oh, hi. Like she definitely loved the attention. Clearly. And they did end up bringing Alice on to testify. And this also just did not go well. When they started talking about the children, she started trembling. Um, she whispered to the judge that he that she couldn't keep going. Uh, and he called for a recess at that time. And she ended up fainting during the recess. And they had to just continue the next day. They had to just like give her the day. But the district attorney talked to her about Joe. And at one point he says, so does Joe have a pool? Yes, he does. Have you ever like gone and swam in Joe's pool when his wife isn't there? Yes, I have. And what were you wearing when you were swimming in that pool? And she's like, well, one time a bathing suit and one time nothing at all. And where were your children when you were swimming in Joe's bathing or in Joe's pool without a bathing suit while you were wearing nothing at all? And her answer was they were dead. This makes her look very cold. Mm-hmm. They were dead and I was living it up. The assumption is or the implication is having sex with a married man in his pool, essentially. Right. And they just brought up as many encounters as they could, essentially. Yeah. So she ends up being found guilty and she was sentenced to five to 20 years and she was sent to New York State Prison for women in Bedford Hills, New York. But she did end up appealing because they ended up finding out that members of the jury had gone and done their own investigation during the trial, which they're not supposed to do. And they went to see if you could actually see everything that Sophie said she could see mm-hmm. from where she was, you know, that night that she said she saw them. And um, they ended up ordering a new trial for this. This time they charge her with Missy and Eddie's murder. Before they couldn't charge her with Eddie's murder because they couldn't even determine that he was murdered because his body was so decomposed when they found it. And this was in 1971, so a little more time has passed. But it doesn't really change anything. She gets convicted again. Mm. So she ends up, and I think they used the, they tried to use the motive or tried to say that the motive was that Alice was wanting to live this carefree life and you know she just wanted to go have sex with men so she had to kill her kids because they were in the way but she ends up being found guilty of first degree murder of Eddie and manslaughter of Missy Hmm. so 
Alice spent the next two years in prison, but her lawyers were working on an appeal. And they ended up overturning her guilty verdict on Eddie. They dismissed that charge because of everything that we said before. Like, Mm -hmm. they didn't, there's no way to even know that he was, in fact, murdered. But her manslaughter conviction for Missy was upheld and she was sent back to prison to continue the original five to 20 year sentence. And she just ended up serving her time. She spent 30 months in prison and then she had nine months of work release. And during that time, she ended up marrying Tony Grace and they ended up like moving to Florida after and just living out their lives together. And um, Eddie ended up remarrying and he relocated to Florida as well. Wow. He's like, I really need to get a place where I could watch Alice. Yeah. Spend the rest of her life. Unless I have that backwards, but I'm pretty sure Alice and Tony moved to Florida, but maybe I have it backwards. Yeah, she did. They went there, but she's still alive. She's in her late 80s now. She's just living a very quiet life. Tony Grace passed away in 1998 and she's never had any more children. And the DA in the freaking case says like, he's still alive now. He still practices law. And he said, it was five years after he convicted Alice. He said, I don't know if she did it. It still seems unlikely. I can't believe it. I don't even believe the story I told the jury. I don't even believe it now. Oh my gosh. And then later he was like, no, I didn't say that. But if you don't even believe, like, I just don't understand how that can be a thing. And now she's a convicted murderer of her children. Mm -hmm. Like ruined her life. Yes. Ruined her entire life. no proof. The thing that she was convicted of was being a promiscuous woman in the 60s. That's what she was convicted of. Right. Yeah. It was all about her life choices Mm -hmm. and that she's not supposed to behave that way, essentially. Well, I'm not doing well either because I'm tramping it up over here in my own place. So I know that's horrible. Yep. I can't believe they let women have their own places. Well, no, I had to, I had to have a male friend rent it for me. So yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, and obviously it's a different time now, but it really is just bizarre to think about how different it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Yep. So that's it. There is a little, you know, there's some more crazy stuff about this case. So we'll, like we said, we'll talk about that in our Facebook Live later on this week. Yeah. So join the group. We'll let you know when the live is going to be for sure then. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Hey, you guys, we have got some brand new patrons to say thank you to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just as a little reminder, if you want your name to be on here too, you can join the Patreon at $10 and above. They get shout outs. Mm-hmm. And if you want to give the Patreon a test drive, you can go to killerqueens.link slash jinx j-i-n-x and you can get the whole series that we did on hbo's the jinx for free you can just test it out yeah give it a little tester uni see if you if you like what you see absolutely i mean why not you know Mm -hmm. okay so here are some patrons who have um 
you know, done just that. Thank you to Elise Catherine, Emily Burton, Hillary Thompson, Honey Baby, oh my God, love, no. Caitlin Kalenberg, Holly Spivey, Melissa Ann Morin, Talia, Mariah Ponce, Brittany Goldsberry, Shawnee Simmingson, Shirley Gray, Kelly Wallaber, hey girl, <laughs> Hill Hart, Sydney, Beth Ard, Amanda Gonzalez, Natalie Herman, Casey Boss, Soledad Alfaro Alla, Beth Ryan, Nikki Weaver, hey girl, hey, Mary Beth Sahedi, Christopher Jenner, Melissa Scott, Lori Blair, Erin McFarlane, Retta Vance, Emily, Tracy Lowry, Kelly Cleary, Kaylee, Mary Crawford, Lori Mason, Andra Begley, Kelly Miller, Heather Murray, Kate Van Wig, Ray Bennett, Emke, Elizabeth Bro, Erica Watkins, Jessica Ferguson, and Nicole Bales. Oh my God, thank you guys. And um, just also another little thing, if you are a $10 and up patron and you haven't joined the Facebook group for patrons, definitely like go into your Patreon account, click on our creator page and hit start here. It's up at the top. And that will give you access to everything that you need. The ringtone, the Facebook group. Um, what's the other thing? Oh, the past episodes, all that kind of stuff. So definitely go there and check it out. It has a link to the Facebook group because we go live in there every Wednesday and then we go live in the free discussion group every Thursday. So we just want to make sure you guys are in there and you have access to it and that's how you find it. Yes, thank you so much, guys. We love you. Yeah, we love you. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 